everyone, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading the book Betsy Timboom, Promise of God, by Mike Evans, with permission from Time Worthy Books. And we are on chapter 25. As the Nazis slowly tightened their grip on life in the Netherlands, newspapers gradually lost all objectivity. In place of real news and honest commentary, we received only pro-German articles. Like the radio reports we heard from Berlin, local papers reflected nothing but the predetermined Nazi party line. They were, in short, merely a means of disseminating party propaganda. Most people recognized it for what it was straight away. At the same time, the German army brought every aspect of the Dutch government under its control. Civil servants were expected to continue in their current jobs. And when we applied for the identity card or the ration card or had any other contact with agencies of government, we continued to deal with the Dutch citizens. But always with a German army officer present and always under the watchful eyes of armed German soldiers stationed throughout each of the government buildings. Throughout the winter, that assertion of power slowly worked its way deeper and deeper into our lives. In the spring, Seisencourt, the Nazi puppet prime minister, approved an order making private ownership of radios illegal. Anyone who owned a radio was required to surrender it. Handbills announcing the policy were posted around town. Newspaper articles gave us the details about how we were to turn them over to the authorities. We also received written notice at the shop. Corey brought the letter upstairs to show me. And it was delivered by a soldier? I asked as I scanned the one-page letter. Yes, she nodded. A German soldier? Yes, she nodded. Why? It seems different, I replied. Being notified in person and by a soldier? I'm not sure what that means. So far, I explained. We've dealt with the civilian authorities. We've never had direct dealings with the German army. Is that worse than the policy itself? Maybe, I sighed. But we have more serious issue. What's that? I looked her in the eye. Whether to obey the order or not. Since our initial radio purchase years before, we had become quite fond of listening to broadcasts at night. Now, with the Germans controlling all other means of reliable news, the radio had become our lifeline to the outside world. In addition, several nights each week, Queen Wilhelmina broadcast from exile in London. Her addresses were important sources of encouragement and information. None of us wanted to give that up. And to make matters worse, we now had two radios, the older one in the parlor and a newer portable one in the shop. I suggest we surrender the one in the shop, Papa said as we discussed it that night. It plays each day and people have seen it. If we don't surrender it, Someone might question us about it, and that would not be good. We all agreed with his suggestion. So the following morning, Corey gathered up the portable radio, cradled it in her arms, and boarded the trolley for a ride across town to the Verm and Dresman department store, the nearest authorized collection point. She was gone several hours, and I began to worry when I heard the shop door open downstairs. Any trouble, Papa asked? No, Corey replied, but I had to lie. They asked you if you had any others? Yes, she nodded. They seemed to insist we had more, as if they knew. I heard the tone of her voice and came down to the steps towards her. When I reached the shop, I looked over at Papa. Do you think they know we have another? 
No, Papa answered calmly. They're just testing to see if we did, wondering what kind of response they might receive. Corey clearly worried. You don't think someone has told them? No, Papa replied once more. Why would they? I wasn't so sure they didn't know. We had heard rumors of informants, fellow citizens who betrayed others to the Nazis. My eyes met Corey's. Do you think they knew you were lying? No. In fact, that was the worst part. It was easy to lie in a convincing manner. I knew what she meant. Lying, even a little, put us in an uninvitable position of acting just like our occupiers. But they gave us little practical option. If we were going to negotiate our way through the occupation, presumably to freedom on the other side, we had to know what was happening both in our own country and around the world. What did the clerk at the store say? I didn't deal with the clerk, except when I arrived, Corey answered. When I told them I was there to turn in a radio, they pointed me towards the room in the back. An army officer was there with three armed guards. It was rather unnerving at first. She managed a weak smile. Then I lied, and it seemed as though I was among friends. A troubled frown wrinkled my brow. You dealt with someone from the German army? Yes, she nodded. No Dutch officials were present? No, she said, shaking her head. Just soldiers. She gave me a quizzical look. You've asked me this before. What are you worrying about? I think the army is asserting greater and greater control over everything. It was the army all along, Papa said without looking up from the work at his desk. They were behind this from the beginning. Only appointed a prime minister to lull us into thinking otherwise. I didn't argue with him. I knew he was right. In spite of Corey's troublesome reaction to lying, we were glad to have the radio. When it wasn't in use, we hid it in a space beneath the rear steps. At night, we took it out and set it on the table in the parlor. Then one of us played the piano to cover the sound while the others listened to the evening news. Like the radio, we also acquired a telephone years earlier, at first because of the novelty of it and in response to rising public popularity. Very quickly, however... It became an essential tool for our business. With it, orders could be placed to suppliers in distant cities, cutting in half the time previously required to obtain parts and new items. Our customers came to expect the speed that practice afforded. But not long after the Prime Minister's office issued the order about the radios, the telephones stopped working. Two days later, we received a notice, once again delivered by a German soldier, telling us that anyone who wished to place even a local call had to do so from the central operating office, access to which was strictly regulated. Not to be outdone, Corey and I decided to visit the office and attempt to call our cousins in Amsterdam, Garrett Van de Poel and his wife Marguerite. If asked, we planned to say we were checking on their condition, but in reality we wanted to see how difficult placing a phone call might be. Two blocks from the phoning office, we came to a line of people waiting to place a call. So we returned home. Any calling system that cumbersome would be monitored by the Germans and utterly useless for our purposes. A few days later, Rabbi Prenz came to the shop. Since the invasion, his visits had become less frequent, and when he arrived that day, Papa brought him upstairs. As they passed the kitchen doorway, I noticed Prince was wearing a crudely cut yellow star that was stitched to the front of his jacket, between the lapel and the pocket. I wanted to ask about it, but decided to wait. Papa led him to the dining room table. 
and I brought cake and coffee. Instead of discussing theology, however, they talked about events that had transpired since the Germans arrived. I busied myself in the kitchen and listened. They have ordered us to form a Jewish council, Prims said glumly. For what? Papa asked. They say it is to give us rights of self-determination, but I do not believe them. Are you on the council? A smaller one, Prims explained. The central one is in Amsterdam, with smaller councils in the other major cities and committees in small towns, the ones that are not so big but have synagogues. We were all ordered to attend a meeting about it. I had not heard that. We are now required to register special with them also. Didn't you get an identification card, Papa asked? Yes, but this is different. This registration is only for Jews. When did this happen? I didn't hear about that either. They didn't tell anyone, only us. They are doing it now still, the registration. They are still conducting it in the Grout Mart. Why did they want you to register again? Prims answered with a wire smile. I'm not sure. It makes no sense to us. The Germans ask the same questions every time anyway. But when we registered this time, they gave us this. I turned to see what he was talking about and saw him pluck the yellow star between his fingers and thumb. We must wear it on our clothes at all times. Why have I not heard of such an order? Like I said, the policy was not officially announced to the public, but you will see the star. Jews must wear it in plain sight, on pain of imprisonment. Over the next week, news of the yellow star spread, and non-Jewish groups led by the church called for a countrywide general strike. The following Monday, trains and trolleys stopped running. The grocery store up the street closed for the day. Papa closed the watch shop. That morning, he and I went for a walk and made our way to the Grout Mart. As we turned the corner by the cathedral, I noticed the square was completely empty of vendors. In place of the farmers and their vegetables were tables set along the far side of the square, each one of them manned by people who appeared to be Jewish. Lines of people stretched across the square and down an adjacent street, waiting to reach the tables. German officers were there also and wandered from table to table, watching and nodding, pointing with instructions to the men seated there. This is the registration, Papa explained finally. I was puzzled. The registration? The one Rabbi Prenz was talking about. It's still going on? I thought it must have ended days before. They had many to register, and from the look of things, it's taking them quite a while to do it. Papa stepped over to the man who was standing in line. This is the registration? Yes, the man nodded. For the star? Yes, the man said, lowering his voice. That is what I am told. We must be quiet or they will beat us. Papa's eyes widened with alarm and looked for a place to squeeze into line. If that is so, then I will get a star for myself. The man we talked to tried to persuade him otherwise, but Papa insisted. We stood in line for almost an hour until we reached the table. Papa stepped up, hat in hand, just as he had seen the others do. Name, the clerk droned on without lifting up his gaze from the pre-printed form that lay before him. Casper Ten Boom, Papa said loudly. The clerk looked up, wide-eyed. This is for registering Jews, he said quietly. If Jews must register and wear the stars, Papa boomed, then I will too, for we are all Jews. The clerk leaned closer and lowered his voice. Please, you must leave before there is any trouble. I am Casper Ten Boom, and I demand my star, Papa said even louder. An army officer stepped to the table. Stern and very serious, he asked, What is the trouble? It was more of a demand than a question. 
My name is Casper Tinboom, Papa repeated bravely, and I want my star. But you are not a Jew, the officer said arrogantly. Only Jews must wear the star. If they must wear it, I must wear it. I am a Jew. Just then, Benjamin Wilde appeared at Papa's side. He took Papa by the arm and whispered in his ear, You are a fool for coming here like this, Casper. Do you want to get us all killed? Without waiting for a reply, he turned to the officer and smiled and said, Please forgive my friend. He's an old man and he sometimes gets confused. I will escort him home. There will be no trouble. And when Wilde, holding Papa by one arm and I by the other, we hustled him away from the table. This is an outrage, Benjamin, Papa cried when we were safely out of the way. An outrage. I know, Wilde agreed. But you are about to get us killed. Papa glanced around the square. And I think for the first time, noticed the armed soldiers that were ringed the area. His eyes opened wide and he looked over at me. They mean to do here what they have done elsewhere. Yes, Papa, I nodded. I think they do. When we reached the edge of the square, Wilde let go of Papa's arm and turned away. Papa turned to call to him, but I tugged on his arm. No, Papa, let's go home. He watched as Wilde disappeared into the crowd, then straightened his jacket, and we turned to leave. As we did, I saw Isaac Franken, the father of Tobias, the man Hannah was pledged to marry. He was standing behind the tables with several older Jews who were mingling among the German officers. I pointed him out to Papa. He saw us just now. Papa looked at that direction and nodded. Yes, he said slowly, I see him. This can't be good. No, it can't. Those Germans are in a bad position. The Germans, I frowned. They have touched the apple of God's eye. This will not turn out well for them. When we returned home, Corey could tell something was wrong. Rather than explain in the shop, I gestured for her to follow me upstairs. She did, and Papa joined us in the kitchen. When she heard about the scene he had made at the square, she was unnerved. What were you thinking? Papa squared his shoulders. I was thinking that if the Jews want to oppose the Jews, I want to be a Jew. Why? Because I do not want anyone to think that I would ever harm God's chosen people. This is what we talked about before. We must decide now how we will react. If we wait until that moment, we will cower like everyone else. But you could have been shot right there, she worried, and no one would have objected. Not even the Jews you were in line with. And all over a yellow star? It's not just a star, I said, injecting myself into the discussion. This is the same thing the Nazis did in Germany, and in Austria, and in Poland. We've heard it before. They identify, divide, and vilify. You must decide now how you will react, Papa repeated. If they shoot a Jew on the street today, there will be public outrage. But in a few months, no one will even notice. This is how they do it, one step at a time. I have made my choice, and I am standing with the Jews, even if they shoot me. If you wait until the day it happens, you will cower before the Germans like everyone else. Well, next week will be chapter 26. I love you. I'm praying for you, and bye-bye for now. Good night, Aiden.